Good evening, and welcome to the second episode of Dungeons and Day Jobs podcast. I'm sorry, I know you can't tell if it's evening or morning because you're chained to your cubicle down in the dungeon. For this episode, we're going to do Vampire in the Mountain Tree. This is part two of Almost Always Somebody Lost an Eye. I know I said I'd get Melinda to read uh, Trailer to the Temptress, but uh, I figured I may as well have these two, part one and part two, back to back. This is the story of Gon, the restless vampire. Fed up with 300 years of life on Earth, endlessly sucking blood from humans, all the wars and petty politics of the undead community, Gon dropped out of the vampire lifestyle. He spent 20 years wandering the globe, studying Zen Buddhism and Kabbalah, and following the Grateful Dead. Still, he could not find himself. The harder he looked, the less he discovered. Finally, he gave up trying to understand himself and his life. He moved back in with his parents, who had a big place in Milan. They were so glad to see him back that they held off a few years before complaining about how he should grow up, establish a domain of his own somewhere, and resume devouring humans like a normal vampire. After all, vampires cannot expect to inherit castles from their immortal parents. Gon spent these years listening to the radio, watching a lot of TV, customizing his Studebaker with lots of chrome and green flames down the sides. He read a lot of old books that he had never gotten around to. Steppenwolf, Canterbury Tales... The Hobbit, and about half of The Lord of the Rings, but it really got bogged down in the two towers. Looking through a box of old papers and photos from school days, Gon, pictured a f- Gon found a picture of the family dog they had while he was growing up. He forgot the box of junk and stared at the dog. Stevie was a shaggy golden retriever, always overweight and happy. Gon remembered how he cried when the dog died, and how he pleaded with his parents to make the dog undead too, but they said it didn't work like that. Gon used his own coffin to bury the corpse for a few days, but it just made his coffin stinky and they had to fumigate it. The little stone with Stevie written on it still sat outside the window of Gon's bedroom where they had buried the dog. In his wandering days, Gon had heard many conflicting stories about the afterlife. Hell, purgatory, reincarnation, bodies getting rejuvenated on distant planets. Funny thing was that about half of those stupid religions denied that pets could accompany humans to heaven. It always infuriated him. Gon slipped the photo in his pocket and went upstairs to find his parents. They were dining on a Moroccan tourist whose rental car had broken down just a few miles away. Say, Dad, Mom, I think I'm going to heaven and see if I can find Stevie. His mother wiped her bloody hands on her napkin and licked her chin and nose clean. Dear, I thought we explained that to you 300 years ago. Stevie can't come back. I know, I know, but I can go up there and bring him back. I'm going to climb the mountain tree. Though it was known to vampires and all the supernatural creatures... Humans had not yet discovered the mountain tree. More accurately, none of those who had discovered it could remember anything about it. And if they say no dogs are allowed, I'm going to destroy the place. Sounds dangerous, said Gon's father, finishing a morsel of liver. Give your grandmother a kiss before you go, or else we'll never hear the end of it. Take care, said Mom. Gon descended to the crypt and shoved the stone cover off the smallest sarcophagus. Grandmother was understandably a little paranoid after all the run-ins she'd had with angry villagers trying to stake her and cut off her head and shove garlic down her neck. She always bared her fangs and hissed when you woke her suddenly. It's just me, Grandmother, Gon said, pulling his hands out of reach from her snapping jaws. I'm going away for a while and might not come back. Good, good, I knew you'd secure a domain before long. Is it very far? She stepped out of the sarcophagus and stretched, revealing a few places where the white lace dress had rotted away. Grandmother had gone over when she was 16, an eternal hottie who had to be kept away from Gon's friends when he was growing up. No, nothing like that. I'm going to climb the mountain tree to the heavens and see if I can find my old dog. 
She set her fists on her narrow hips and scowled at Gon. Oh, so you're just here to collect your stuff and run off, eh? Go ahead and leave me sleeping for a century. Just wake me when you need Grandma to provide equipment for your quest, and then you can run off and never see me again. It's goddamn typical of you and your post-Renaissance generation. No, Grandma, I don't... Always me, me, me. No time to spend with your family. Grandmother, I just came to kiss you goodbye. I don't need any equipment from you. You know good and damn well that I'm obliged to outfit my only grandson for his quest. Don't act like you don't know. And don't tell me it's not a quest, because I know a quest when I see one. I've been on a few on my own, thank you very much, and they, uh, they were almost as pointless as looking for your dead goldfish or whatever. So don't try to teach your grandmother how to suck eggs from the golden goose. She lifted her head toward the roof of the crypt, her mouth open, inhaling deeply. Is that Moroccan? Never mind. Has the vault been raided lately, or are your parents keeping on top of things? She led him down the stairs to the vault, rolled the stone out of the way, brushed cobwebs out of her hair as she pushed through. Ah, she said, striding through mounds of coins, jewels, crowns, bits of meteorite composed of undiscovered substances. I see your father finally got the chalice back from those Romans. Maybe he is good for something. She pulled the string on the light bulb dangling from the ceiling. Past the boxes of lost Rembrandts, knuckle bones of saints, a big Tesla coil which grandmother squinted at before reaching the back wall. She rubbed her hand over a rectangle drawn on the rough stone wall and it popped out, the front face of a drawer which eased forward. My mother's mother gave these to me, she said. I'm supposed to guard them for 800 years and give them to my last descendant, so he may challenge the boundaries of this world. She removed a piece of black velvet that covered the contents of the drawer. A bronze shield gleamed brighter than a 40-watt bulb ought to make bronze gleam. Emblazoned on the front of it was a crescent moon. Grandmother lifted the shield from the drawer to see what was beneath it. Five armies were lost in the war to capture this shield. My mother got staked by a thief who wanted this stupid shield, and I had to spend fifty years searching to get it back. This shield was forged for you alone. Do not misplace it. Next she removed a dog tooth from the drawer. When you get to heaven, this will grab Stevie's attention, so he'll come to you right when you call him. The last item was a small box with rounded corners. Grandmother picked up a cord attached to the box and placed it around Gon's neck. She bumped the drawer closed with her thigh and said, That's it. Then she snatched the drawstring on the light bulb and headed back out of the vault. Gon said, What's this box? Does it do something special that you should tell me about? He hurried after her up to the crypt where he could see the box better in the torchlight. On the front side of it were the words, Sony Watchman. He pushed a button and saw Joan Collins slap someone. Cool. But how did you put this in a drawer centuries ago? They've only been around for a couple years. What, you never heard of a crystal ball? What do you think all that crap was, magic? It's just technology. And anyhow, I'll let you in on a little family secret since I might never see you again. Grandmother lowered her voice. My mother's mother's maiden name was Sony. Cool. She kissed him on the forehead and swatted him on the butt. Now go make us proud. I'm going up to get some Moroccan if there's any left. With that, Gon slung the shield on his back slipped the tooth in his pocket, and began his journey to the mountain tree. He had some difficulty finding it, since no humans could help him with directions. But there were enough friendly demons and bugbears in America that he eventually made his way to Kansas. From the base of the mountain tree, he could only see a mile of it poking up to the clouds. If the magic of the heavens provided this illusion that blanketed its upper reaches, Gon figured he could reach the top within a few days. He grabbed an edge of the bark and began climbing. Two months later, the vanishing illusion of the mountain tree was now above him and below him. 
It seemed to taper off into a hazy nothing only a few hundred yards below him, even though he could still see the ground and the clouds far below. Climbing only at night, Gon had to stop before dawn each day and punch a hole deep into the bark as a refuge from the sun. Then he could watch the morning news from Kansas City, or live with Regis. One evening when Gon woke, he listened to a news segment on the bloodshed in Kosovo. Those words reminded him of his great hunger, and he slammed his fist on the wall of his wooden cubbyhole within the tree bark. A few chips flew away from the impact, but the sound was like a drum. He pounded on it again and heard a definite hollow. Within a few seconds, he had ripped the bark away until a hole was cleared to that hollow. Gon crawled into the open space and nearly stumbled down the stairs. Inside ten feet of bark, there was a winding passage of stairs that spiraled up the trunk of the mountain tree. He laughed at the thought of finishing his journey without any further mountain climbing. Gon shut off the news and ran up the steps, two at a time. Two years of blank wooden stairs. 730 days of stairs. Ten miles, maybe twenty miles each day he climbed. He was far from the Earth's atmosphere, so on the few occasions that the sun shone through a deep fissure in the bark, it was only a yellow glimmer, like light from a full moon. One day, Gon reached a crack in the bark and peered out at the stars. He left the television quiet and slept there on a wide stair step. The sound of a meadowlark woke him. It lighted on the cracked rim of bark where the stars shone through. Finally, the bird said, panting. I had to flap like a SOB to get up this high. Gon lifted his head from the bronze shield that he always used as a pillow. He slung it on his back and started up the stairs. Hold up, man, the metal lark said, hopping up the steps behind him. I didn't fly all this way just for you to walk off. Let me catch my breath and we'll talk. Gon waited a moment, then laughed and kept walking. Hey, I'm serious, wait! The metal lark flew up to perch on his shoulder. This is not going to work. You're heading into this without putting any thought into it. Heading into what? Heaven? I don't care. I'm going to get my dog or die trying. No, no, not heaven. I mean this whole adventure. Getting the dog makes for a cute anecdote, but you need something bigger if you're going to sell your memoirs. Dude, when people are done hearing about you, you want them to come away with a big message like, never eat spinach with a stranger, or your life could describe the origin of some plant or animal or bug or, or the movement of a heavenly body. You want people to tell about your great big quest and end with, that's why the mosquito buzzes, or that's why the moon turns red. Know what I'm saying? Maybe you could do something with the autumnal equinox. People already celebrate the solstices, but there's not much publicity about the autumnal equinox. Your life story should be so big that it defines why the tides change or how something was created. But everything's been created already. Gon looked around for an example, felt the watchman swinging on his neck. They show all the creation stories on here already. It's called the Discovery Channel. The Meadowlark said, Have you heard of that DSS thing, like digital satellite or whatever? That sounds sweet. Gon said, I'm not here to prove anything. I just want my dog. Well, you're going to come across three obstacles, the Meadowlark said, and I'm one of them. Really, I'm not trying to get in your way of completing this quest. I just want to show you how you need to rethink it. You are your own biggest obstacle. Gon continued up the stairs. The bird flew off his shoulder for a second, then came right back down where it had been. Look, between you and me, I'd advise against this vampire business. What do you mean? Gon stopped and the bird hopped down to the stairs. Metalark said, it's sort of against the rules. I mean, there's no formal rule about this, but usually you get an ordinary man or woman, sometimes with no name, and they go on this extraordinary journey. Things are tipped out of balance by some taboo they violate or something, and they have to jump through hoops to set it straight, maybe sacrifice their lives in order to restore balance. This tree and your three obstacles are the hoops you have to jump, jump through. But you've got some problems with your whole background, see, because you're not an ordinary man. I mean, not a human. Being a vampire makes it too complicated. 
I'd advise against it. What am I supposed to do about it now? Meadowlark said, oh, I hadn't thought about that. You're stuck with it? Okay, go ahead and run with it now, I guess. Can you do something with your quest to explain how vampires originated through your actions? Or why vampires have to drink blood? You don't even want to know. It's tied in with women and why the moon turns red and all that. No, it's all been done. Really, I'm just here for my own reasons. The meadowlark cocked his head from side to side, turning and blinking and turning back to him. It was hard to tell whether these movements indicated the bird was pondering the vampire's words, or whether he was just jerking his head around like all little birds with eyes on the sides of their heads do. Well, hell, you got me then. Stick a fork in me, because this obstacle's done. You should come across at least two more before you're through. Two years of climbing. Five years of climbing. Gon watched carefully at all the tiny openings and cracks in the bark, thinking his other two challenges would come through these windows the same way his first obstacle had come. Maybe a dragon or an eagle. That eagle that tears out Prometheus's guts every night? Four years. Seven years. TV reception came and went. Damn good batteries grandmother left in that thing. He didn't know if TV signals came in better or worse in space, but they only seemed to go 50 or 60 miles through the regular atmosphere, and he had passed out of Earth's atmosphere decades ago. It should have been nothing but static all along, but he was still able to watch Friends and Frasier and New Yankee Workshop most days. Gon had taken to punching new holes out through the bark to check outside. Sometimes he would knock on the giant core of wood in the middle of the spiral stairs and listen for hollow spots. One evening when he was preparing to settle down and sleep, Gon spotted a lion on the steps above him. It lay across the passage, so anyone who passed would be within easy reach. The cat had been sleeping, but it lifted its head and opened its mouth, which looked a little like a smile. Gon stood and held the shield in front of himself. Don't bother to talk me out of it, he told the lion. It said nothing, just stood and paced back and forth across one step, always keeping an eye trained on Gon. Gon had not killed a human or any other animal in at least a hundred years. Besides his feelings about killing, the lion could mess him up here. If he tried to rush past, it could still wound him, and Gon would not heal unless he slept in his native soil. He imagined another thirty, fifty, five hundred years limping up the stairs. The vampire stepped closer until finally the lion lunged. Its claws slid across the face of the shield, then caught on the rim and dug into Gon's right arm. A sound like fabric tearing came as the lion's claws pulled through dry flesh. Without thinking, Gon backhanded the lion with his shield. The lion tumbled backwards into the solid core of the tree. He ran up the steps, propelled by instinct. The lion was faster. It could easily be on him within seconds. Even wounded, the lion could recover in, in the days and months and years of climbing ahead. There would be no wait. The lion bounded up the steps and leapt on Gon's back. The vampire fell forward on his shield, rolled over on top of the lion, thrust his elbow back through the lion and into the wooden steps. He quickly stood and stepped away. The lion's chest was crushed, blood streaming down the steps below it. It kept straining to breathe. Gon flipped the shield on his back and ran up the steps. He ran for days, for three weeks, then rested a few sleepless hours and resumed running up the steps. The batteries in his watchman expired. A blue-green crust seeped out of the battery compartment. Gon ran for months, then slowed to a walk. He should have been to the moon already, long beyond the moon. It was some trick of the gods, no way of knowing how long his journey would last. Unable to sleep or dream for many months, he wondered what the gods intended by this puzzle. The tree must have been created for some higher reason. It had stood for thousands of years, unique in this world, but no one knew why. Perhaps his journey had been willed by the gods. Someone must have been assigned these three obstacles. Unless the Meadowlark had been lying, maybe there were legions of obstacles waiting to block him. Maybe there had been no real obstacles and the lion had gotten into the tree by chance. How long had it been in the tree before Gon came? 
If the gods intended to stop him, why had they left a beast that a vampire could easily defeat? Was there only one more obstacle? Gon began to imagine that Meadowlark was the god who had created the obstacles. Either he was a benevolent god who set the obstacles to force Gon's understanding of life or the afterlife, or else he was a wicked trickster god who knew that nothing could ever climb this tree to the heavens. Or it was just a mortal bird talking crap. Finally, after walking for several years without rest, Gon found where the staircase widened into a chamber, 30 feet wide and 10 feet high. A dented and scarred desk blocked the opening where the stairs continued at the back of the room. Someone, someone had actually taken the time to put down paneling up the walls, hardwood floors that looked like some other kind of wood. The woman behind the desk bent over a small stack of forms, stamping and signing them, making notes. As she set a form in the outbox, the paper disappeared. Shin bones and skulls and broken shoulder blades filled the corners of the room. The plaque on the front of the desk announced, Lisa, Goddess of Machines Forgotten. May I help you? she asked. Her dress was burgundy, a tasteful combination of godliness and business. The shoulder pads were maybe a little too exaggerated, or maybe those were her real shoulders, but otherwise, divine. The vampire stood well away from her desk. You can tell me why we're here. She leaned way back in her leather chair. Oh, golly, I don't know why you're here. I'm here to keep mortals from getting to the top. It's one of those things where your dad, the god of corn whiskey, transforms into a wildebeest in order to seduce your mother, but doesn't have the power to transform back, so he makes a deal with the river god to have his firstborn serve as a threshold guardian up this cockamamie tree. She sighed. Just one of those things. You want some coffee or something? I'll tell you, she said, holding out a cup that had materialized in her hand. A cool trick, although you'd think she could conjure something fa fancier than a paper cup. It really sucks doing double duty here. I have to stop people coming up the tree, but at the same time I have to do all the clerical duties involved with unwanted machines, useless antiques, expired service agreements, discontinued models, plus I have to keep an eye on recalls. Just the database for all that warranty information takes up half my hard drive, and we're talking about a heavy-duty piece of equipment, the kind they only issue to gods. I think it's supposed to hold one-third of an eternity of information, or three-fifths, something like that. Gon came forward hesitantly to accept the coffee. If you're only here to prevent mortals from moving up the tree, then you'll let me pass? Oh, I'm sorry, she cooed. Vampires can be killed, so we consider you mortal also. But let's not battle yet, please. It's so rare I get a visitor I can talk to, someone who isn't intimidated by the fact that I may have to vanquish or destroy them. Have you been climbing long? Gon dropped into one of the polished wooden chairs in front of her desk. Eighty years, a hundred, I'm not sure. Two hundred? It's sad, really, she said. So many try climbing this tree to the heavens because it looks so direct. It, w it would have been so much easier to just stay home for 200 years, concentrate on becoming a master sorcerer, and summon angels or demons to build you a portal to heaven. So much of this existence is just ridiculous. Totally pointless. I mean, for example, my duty as goddess of machines forgotten covers dead languages and dead religions, too, like the Shakers and Heaven's Gate and televangelism. Who will ever need to consult records on these things later? I tried to argue my way out of handling cigarettes when those finally went under, but the higher-ups told me cigarettes counted as a religion, if not a device. They got their own savior, the Marlboro Man, who died so that his followers would know full flavor. And smokers had their ritualized way of worshipping him by sacrificing a few days off the end of their lives every time they lit up. You mean they finally outlawed smoking? Gon realized how very long he had been away from Earth. What else had changed since he'd been up the tree? 
Oh no, they just legislated the tobacco companies out of business. As an individual, you're still free to smoke, but as a corporation, you're responsible for any products that kill more people than the nation loses in peacekeeping missions each year. Gone looked into the bottom of his empty coffee cup. Wow. Yeah, so the car companies went under too. God, that was a nightmare. All of a sudden, I have to supervise this legion of cherubim working for me as temps to repossess a quarter million beat-up trucks and escorts and escalades. Ugh. Well, thanks for the coffee and the conversation, Gon said, crumpling the cup and tossing it in her wastebasket. But I need to get up those stairs. Are you sure you need to? I can crack your skull into tatters just as easily as you elbowed that lion. Gon arched his back, bared his fangs, and roared. I swore off humans centuries ago. The blood of a goddess is very tempting, but I think we can avoid battle. Lisa pushed her desk and leather chair to the side of the room. The monitor wobbled on her desk as it screeched across the hardwood floor. The mouse fell down to the floor and she had to set it back on her customized mouse pad, which was a photo of an underwood typewriter. The nice thing will be that you won't make too much of a mess. If you've gone so long between suckings, then you won't have any blood to spill. It's really not that difficult to clean once you've treated it with a few coats of varnish, though. How much paperwork do you have to do when you discover a machine that no one uses anymore? Gon asked. Lisa was pulling off her shoes and throwing her arms in circles to limber up. Uh, about three weeks for each item I discover. These forms get detailed when they're made to be read by people with all the time in the universe to spend reading. So if I keep making use of this big necklace, Gon lifted the watchman from around his neck and held it out toward the goddess of machines forgotten then you won't have to do your god-awful paperwork on it, because it's not forgotten yet. And you'd be so thankful you might let me squeak by up the stairs. She stared at the old hunk of plastic crusted with turquoise battery acid, like he was holding a dead carp for her. Or I could throw it down the stairs for you to chase, he said. I'd catch up with you and kill you after doing the paperwork. Alright, you got me. Go ahead up the stairs. But if I hear you set it down on a step and leave it there, the deal's off and you're dead. Looping the useless machine around his neck again, Gon rushed up the steps, knowing his goal was near. He had defeated the third threshold guardian, and nothing more stood in his way. Strange that he had not really used or needed the shield, but maybe that would come later, or maybe there would be different guardians on the way back down. Fifteen years he ran, offering praises to God or the devil if they would only let him reach the heavens soon, then cursing both when they didn't, then trying to remember all the demigods so he could repeat the process. Two thousand years later, the idea came that he could walk back down to beg the secret from Lisa, because there had to be some secret way to reach the heavens. He imagined a network of secret passages through the core of the tree that would take him to rocket elevators, shooting him out the roof and into the stars. The vampire still walks up the steps of the mountain tree, and always will. He has met thousands of travelers and wanderers heading, up, heading down to hell, up to the heavens, down to the Merrimack caverns, some just burrowed into the core of the tree, waiting for enlightenment waiting to die, hiding from demons, searching for angels, studying entomology. Some joined with the vampire, some attacked him, some shared tea or tobacco or Dr. Pepper, or offered him trail mix, but he never liked that stuff, especially the kind with carob chips. Gon became the threshold guardian of a thousand other legends, the mentor to a few dozen, and even inspired several level bosses in commercially viable video games. But what of the wager between the god of Flat and the god of the Creek? Both had been distracted by other events long before. Their wager had blown away like dust, like most of Kansas, like the song by Kansas. A thousand years earlier, Echiti, the god of flat, had been called away to Greece and Arabia to lord over scholars of geometry. 
Dono eventually defeated Gorel the Silt God with some help from Meadowlark the Trickster God. Dono won the hand of Gorel's luscious daughter, August, who never achieved the status of a deity, but became well known for polishing stones. His influence grew until he was god of rivers, then god of lakes, washing great canyons out of Kansas, finally municipal sea god over the whole sunken Midwest. What happened to the mountain tree? It still grows from the middle of Dono's sea. Naturally, you have never heard of this mountain tree by mortals who crossed the Kansas Sea. That's how potent the spell of forgetfulness was. You could still touch it today, but you would not remember it as you sailed away. What happened to Gon? He still walks the stairs of the mountain tree. The reason he never reaches the heavens is that the tree still grows, but mostly downward. All the denizens of hell dig at the roots of the tree, so it has to keep pushing down at them to grow back in place. Inside the tree, Gon is actually walking up the largest down escalator ever created. So even after thousands of years of climbing the sinking staircase, he is no more than a few miles above sea level. Did you really think you'd be allowed to see heaven? Then you are as much fool as he is. The End You've been listening to Vampire in the Mountain Tree, part two of Almost Always, Somebody Lost an Eye. Uh, second episode of Dungeons and Day Jobs podcast. To subscribe to this podcast, point your typewriter to dayjobspodcast.blogspot.com. If you'd like to buy a trade paperback, six by nine inch, 170 page hard copy of these stories that you're hearing in Dungeons and Day Jobs podcast, uh, because you can't wait to hear all the rest of the stories, you're so eager then you'd want to go to evilbobdayjob.tripod.com. And I hope you enjoy it, and we'll keep listening. Uh, next time, I promise the next story is going to be Trailer of the Temptress, uh, written by me, but I'm going to make my, uh, M- Melinda Ann Smith, also known as Mel's Basket Case, uh, is going to read it for you. And the music at the opening and closing of this podcast for now is Hot Lips by Bill Brown and his Brownies. Uh, Kind of a screwed version as in DJ Screw. But I'm sure you already know that because you're a big fan of uh, Deep South Hip Hop. I'm still working on a nice uh, tagline. Not a tagline. What do I... Like a sign-off. Nice sign-off, you know. Good night and good riddance. Good, Good tomorrow. Good night and good luck tomorrow. Good God. God bless you. Heaven help you. Something dungeony, something day jobby. I don't know what I'm going to come up with. Make a suggestion if you want to. If anybody's out there, please. Good day.